America, a ten pack at ease. Let me say that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Now, what's a better example of that than the performance of America's team? And of course, I'm talking about the Kansas City Chiefs. See, the Kansas City Chiefs proved that sometimes it's better to be lucky than be good. Proving that maybe they're not America's team. They could just happen to be God's team. Hey, welcome to Fearless. I'm your thrill sergeant, Uncle Jimmy, and that's the captain, Jason Whitlock, the man whose words are a bacon of truth. <laughs> hey, man, today is what we would like to call my kind, I like to call my kind of show, because today we're talking the NFL. And this time of year, what else really matters, huh? COVID? No. World peace? No. Was Bob Saget really that funny? No. Today is all about football. So hey, we're gonna have Steve Kim. He's up first. And he's gonna be here to talk about Brian Flores getting fired down in Miami and whether or not he thinks it might have been a black thing. And also he's gonna be here to talk about the national championship game tonight. And who's he with? The Georgia Bulldogs? Or is he gonna roll tide? Hey, and also if we got time, I hope Jason is gonna ask him whether or not there's any truth to the rumor that Steve's gonna be participating in the next season of the Squid Games. And then we got the show me bro. And of course I'm talking about Missouri's own TJ Moe. And he's gonna be here to tell us who's more overrated, Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans or Jason Whitlock and the Ball State Cardinals. Okay, so now look here, you know what time it is. Hit the likes. Hit the subscribes, make that move, and go and purchase the merch. Jason asked for five stars. The only thing I ask for is a dilly dilly if you feel me. So come on y'all, let's do it. Release the doves, release the hounds, and I need you to welcome the Blazers version of Sidney Poitier. He's gonna be doing all the remakes. Like guess who's coming to dinner? An American tragedy. And plus, ladies, you'll be happy to know He's gonna be appearing shirtless in the movie that's called, They Call Me Mr. Tits. Here he is, the man that ate all of the lilies in the field and had no shame. The star of the show, y'all, Jason Whitlock. Happy Monday. Uh, good job, Uncle Jimmy. Uh, thank you guys uh, for joining me. We got a lot of NFL to talk about, a lot of football to talk about today. Uh, let's get right to it. We're coming off of, the, I think, in the argument for one of the greatest NFL weekends ever. Three games with playoff implications go to overtime. Uh, but all that a bit overshadowed by uh, what's called Black Monday, the day that NFL head coaches get fired. So as is tradition, the NFL fired a bunch of coaches on Monday morning, a day after its regular season concluded, and ownership looked to blame someone for failing to meet expectations. The Broncos kicked things off on Sunday morning, dismissing Vic Fangio 
a day after Denver wrapped up its season with a loss to my Kansas City Chiefs. 24 hours later, the Bears dumped Matt Nagy, the Vikings pink slip Mike Zimmer, and most surprisingly, the Dolphins discarded third-year coach Ryan Flores. The Flores firing will get the most attention. Miami finished with a winning record, 9-8, and eight, and ended its campaign with a victory over the Patriots. Plus, let's deal with the elephant in the room. Brian Flores is black. And we know how corporate media loves nothing more than to accuse NFL ownership of racism. NFL owners are Trump supporters. What could be more racist than voting for Donald Trump over black icons, Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden? NFL owners provided January 6th insurrectionists with the flagpoles and moose heads they used to try to overthrow our government and assassinate Nancy Pelosi. All right, let, let me stop with the sarcasm and make my serious point. In the world of sports, there's nothing more complicated and treacherous than NFL head coaching decisions. That's why there's nothing more bothersome than the simple-minded discussion of these decisions along black-white racial lines. NFL owners wanna win because winning further inflates their egos, celebrities, and feelings of masculinity. Skin color is no longer a driving force when it comes to serving an owner's ego on a football field. He's not picking a wife, a girlfriend, or a mistress. He's picking someone skilled at two things. One, motivating young men with lots of discretionary money and free time. Two, managing a team of older men who assist the head coach in motivating young men. The job requires tremendous savvy. Most of the people talking about the job on corporate media platforms, Twitter and Facebook, lack the kind of savvy necessary to be a successful football coach at any level. That's why the discussion of the NFL head coaches is so stupid and fixates on race. There was a time when race played a major role in who could lead an NFL franchise. That time has passed. The same way there used to be a time when the skin color of the quarterback mattered, the skin color of the heavyweight boxing champion mattered, the skin color of the president and vice president mattered. Things have changed here in America. Unfortunately, there are people who have built careers in social media brands pretending nothing has changed and we're still locked in the 1920s and 30s. The truth is, the firing of Brian Flores proves how much things have changed. Flores is out of a job today because the black general manager of the Miami Dolphins, Chris Greer, outpoliticked Flores. Miami-based ESPN NFL reporter Jeff Darlison tweeted the most pertinent information on the Flores firing, writing, quote, the decision to fire Flores can be summed up with one word, relationships. His relationship with Chris Greer and quarterback Tua Tungwaola had deteriorated to a pretty bad place. Along with constant staff changes, owner Steve Ross no longer saw Flores as a healthy fit in Miami. Let me translate that for you. Greer has a better relationship with the Dolphins owner than Flores. A year ago, 
Greer stayed put at number five in the draft and selected Tuck Tua one spot ahead of Chargers star quarterback Justin Herbert. It was a risky pick. Tua's undersized and a bit injury prone. Greer tried to acquire the number one overall pick from Cincinnati, presumably to select quarterback Joe Burrow. The Dolphins had three first round picks in 2020. Whatever the trade package, it wasn't enough to persuade the Bengals to relinquish Burrow. Greer struck out on Burrow and Herbert. Tua is a disappointment. Greer, like most people, is loyal to his decision. Greer and Tua are a package that Flores seemingly can't enthusiastically support. Greer used his superior relationship with Stephen Ross to fire Flores, who has back-to-back winning seasons. Flores is the first Dolphins coach to record back-to-back winning seasons in nearly two decades. What transpired between Flores and Greer, two black men, is commonplace in the NFL. Relationships rule decision-making. At that altitude, relationships are often ruled by ego and personality, not race. It's a game of politics, treacherous politics. The prevailing sentiment is Flores will get a second chance to lead an NFL team, perhaps as early as this offseason. NFL decision makers can easily see what happened to Flores. The media will try to blind sports fans with race. Lucky for you, you have me, and you don't have to do that. We can actually have an intelligent conversation about what happened to Brian Flores and what actually drives decision making in the NFL as it relates to head coaches. You're going to hear there's been four coaches fired already. John Gruden got fired during the season. Urban Meyer got fired during the season. There's six NFL head coaching jobs available right now. And you're going to hear a lot of conversation about race, 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 race. And do black coaches have a chance? And the NFL's racist and blah, 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 blah. And it just won't be true or authentic or an accurate reflection of what actually is driving the decision making. All right, we're going to roll out to uh, Los Angeles and bring in my Asian brother from my Korean mother, uh, Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell. Uh, welcome back to Fearless. And I, I, I want to start here. Were you as shocked as I was that the Dolphins fired Brian Flores? Uh, Jay, first of all, welcome. Hello. Uh, great start to the week. And yes, I was. I actually woke up to the news on Twitter, various news reports saying that Brian Flores had been relieved of his duties of the Miami Dolphins. I'll be honest with you. I was shocked. I mean, I was certainly expecting Chicago and Minnesota to make changes. But based on the fact that the Dolphins had finished up strong uh, and with the winning record that, hey, you know, Flores has got to work out some issues. He has earned another year. But then the most um, non-surprising element of this is the media getting out and trying to work on their woke quotient, what I call the quotient, by immediately going to the race card. And look, you could maybe speculate that there is an element to it. I don't really see it, given the fact that now the NFL league-wide has a diversity mandate. 
I mean, you could just see it in the advertising uh, throughout the games. And look, do I believe that it was fair? No. If I was Steve Ross and not Steve Kim, would I have given Flores another year? Yes. Look, Chris Greer needs to be put under fire because at the end of the day, this is a guy that uh, instead of drafting Tua could have had Justin Herbert and Tua is looking like more and more their version of Sam Bowie uh, and while Michael Jordan is out there in L.A. So, yes, I was surprised, uh, given the fact that most coaches nowadays get four years. And, and the one thing that I would question is, and I would ask this of Stephen Ross or whoever's available in Miami, how in the world do you justify getting rid of a coach that seems to have things going in the right direction and maybe that's not a question for them, but when you see a Joe Judge in New York getting another year, and that team looks dismal, that's why I do think that there is some validity to that argument, but I don't think it's based on race. Well, I think it's clear as day here. The general manager yeah. made a clear mistake with the quarterback position. Brian Flores is frustrated by it. His relationship with Tua and the GM have been complicated because over mm -hmm. the frustration about the quarterback. Look, given to his injuries at Alabama, given his, given his size, and then you got Justin Herbert picked directly after him. Yep. Six foot four, six foot five, 230 pounds, looks like King Kong, looks like he's going to be a great quarterback. And, and I tend to suspect Brian Flores was never really on board with Tua, tried to make it work. It hasn't worked. And, and Chris Greer, hats off to him, because this is what goes on at jobs at that level. Are you playing the political game to the best of your ability? And sometimes coaches, particularly when they didn't hire or participate in the hiring of the general manager, if there's some equality between the general manager and the head coach, the, the, the general manager has more free time and, and probably a little bit more access to the owner. And so Chris Greer has clearly painted a narrative that, uh, you know, Tua hasn't worked out because we got the wrong head coach. He's a defensive coach. We, I would suspect they're going to go with an offensive-minded head coach. And, and even if they draft someone, another quarterback, I think Chris Greer playing politics and trying to hold on to his position of power made the argument that, man, the, the mistake here was, was the head coach. He's a defensive-minded guy in this new NFL. You got to have a head coach who's all in on the quarterback and believes that's the way to win. And, and so you got two people going after power and, and trying to survive one of them outpolitic the other. That's what goes on all the time in the NFL, all the time in corporate America. And I, I just get tired of people trying to, that everything revolves around race when actually it's like, are you playing the relationship game? Are you building relationships with the people in power so that they stay on your side and on your team? I don't want to say Brian Flores made a mistake because, look, he's got to manage his players, his assistant coaches, and focus on winning. But but he clearly got out-politicked here. I, I think politics and relationships explain this. I, I buy what Jeff Darlington and other um, uh, media members in the NFL are selling, that relationships 
or why Brian Flores is unemployed right now. Yeah, Jason, I know you're a big Game of Thrones fan. I'm going to draw an analogy here. I don't know how perfect it is, but Brian Flores kind of reminds me of Ned Stark, a very popular character. Everyone loved him, and, but he didn't bend the knee, and he got his head chopped off almost prematurely. In fact, I think that was the end of the first year. Um, here's the issue with the Dolphins. If they feel as though they need a quarterback immediately and they're going to move off a of Tua, this year's quarterback draft class is not very good. I don't know if Kenny Pickett's really worth a – top 15 type of draft choice and the Dolphins aren't really in a high position to begin with when you look at the quarterbacks that you say who who at the college level translates to the next level you're looking at guys like Bryce Young who plays tonight then you look at CJ Stroud putting up big numbers at Ohio State but here's the case against Brian Flores if you want to take that route out of their eight or nine victories that they racked up at the end they didn't play a lot of good teams They really didn't. Uh, They beat up on the Sisters of the Poor of the National Football League. And his record against the Buffalo Bills, who are the big bullies of that particular division, I think he was 0-8 against them. And and that's a franchise that really has a foundation set with a young coach that everyone likes and a franchise quarterback and some really good defensive linemen. So, you know, again, I get the sense, and I'm not an NFL insider, that Brian Flores is one of the few Belichick assistants that kind of gets it, that he's carved out his own identity, and he's done a good enough job that he'll probably get another job in the near future. But the question is now, if you're Chris Greer, Stephen Ross, and the Miami Dolphins, you have to make this work. So if Chris Greer is saying, hey, I got Tua, this is my guy, we're going to anchor our ship to this guy uh, boy, that's a tough one. Who's your head coach then? Who makes it work? Because every time I see Tua, Jay, here's one thing that's very, very noticeable about him at the NFL level. There's a certain lack of arm strength that really restricts the offense. On the short, quick throws where the ball gets out of his hands quickly, it works. But when he has to do some of those things that he was able to do at Alabama, where he had an All-American team surrounding him, the game compresses around him. And that noticeable lack of arm strength becomes more and more apparent the more I see him play. I think you make a great point about this quarterback class, which I think buttresses my point, is that Chris Greer wants one more shot, perhaps, with Mm. Tua Tungvaola with an offensive-minded coach. Uh, It doesn't appear that there was initial rumors, oh, my God, they're going to get Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Stephen Ross, the owner, is a Michigan man, but Stephen Ross has come out with a statement that, you know, he's not taking Jim Harbaugh from Michigan. Someone else is going to have to do that. And and so I I guarantee you Chris Greer feels like he's got Zach Taylor or the Cliff Kingsbury Mm -hmm. or who's who's the other Sean McVay knockoff that Brandon Staley, I guess, was somewhat of a Sean McVay knockoff. Uh, I, I feel like he feels like he has a coach in his mind that can come in here and take Tua mm-hmm. and the offense to the next level. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll have to wait and see on that. That's a perfect segue, though, into uh, Brandon Staley in no. yesterday's group of uh, oh. NFL games. Three NFL games on the final weekend with playoff implications all go overtime. That raised some eyebrows for me. I got to say, though, (laughs) last night's Chargers-Raiders game was pretty damn entertaining. Obviously, the comeback and how the Chargers got back into the game, really entertaining. 
I have, I'm the one person, I think, though, in the country, Steve, I got no problem with Brandon Staley calling that timeout. I'm not a big Brandon Staley fan. I think he leans into the analytics way too much. I saw him lose a game against the Chiefs this year because he kept going for it on fourth down, wouldn't take the field goal. And, and so and in this game, I think he, he went for a fourth down from his own 20-yard line. But at the end of that game, when he had five defensive backs on the field mm. uh, against 11 personnel, one running back, and it was clear uh, the Raiders were going to run the ball, I got no problem with him taking a timeout, pulling that defensive back off the field, putting his best run defense out on the field. It was poor execution by the Chargers defense, not uh, a poor decision by Brandon Staley to take that time. I, I, I don't think the timeout matters because if, if, if I'm the Raiders coach, Rich, hey, help me pronounce Rich's last name, Basakia. Uh, if I'm Rich, I want that victory. I need that victory for my resume. I, I, literally, he, he's an interim coach. He's trying to hammer that he should be the Raiders' permanent full-time coach. That, that, that extra victory is better than a tie. I think they were gonna kick a field goal regardless, and they were gonna run the ball regardless. Why not put your best defense out on the field? Jason, I think me and you may be the only two guys then, because I went over the last minute of that game like the Zupruder film, frame by frame. L let me just say this. Uh, personally, I didn't like the timeout because it kind of gave the Raiders moment to think about exactly how are we going to approach this. But keep this in mind, before the timeout was called with 38 seconds to go, the Raiders lined up in a shotgun. I've actually never seen a team kneel on the ball in a shotgun formation. So the game basically came down to third and four. If you stop us for little or no gain, now we start thinking about, do we even want to risk a long field goal? Once Josh Jacobs gashed him for eight, nine yards, then it turned the whole strategy into, we are now in field goal range. The biggest bugaboo for the Chargers is their run defense. As they go into the draft and free agency, they have to get better in the front seven and put more guys around Bosa. But I do want to say this about Brandon, the boy genius, Staley. I have some issues with him. You look at that roster. You have one of the best players in the NFL at age 23 at the most important position, Justin Big Boy Herbert. Austin Eckler's turned into a very good running back. Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are Starsky and Hutch outside. All right, Jared Cook is a really good tight end. Okay, you need a right tackle, but still there's no perfect teams in the salary cap NFL. You have Bosa and Derwin James anchoring your defense. Jason, that has to be more than a 9-8 and eight team. And you go back to that Kansas City game at SoFi Stadium that we talked about about five weeks ago. Football, last I checked, Jay, and you played Division One. It is not played on a spreadsheet. It's not an algorithm on a computer. It is played by men on a football field. Variables matter. Two things really stood out. You talked about the fourth down and one from the 18. I'm not opposed to going for it liberally on fourth down. I'm not. But, Jay, here's the issue. Let's say they would have squeezed out a yard and a half and you move the chains. You still have 60 yards to go before you're even in field goal range. I did not understand that. Unless it's in the fourth quarter of a game that you're losing and you're down to the last drive or two, it's different. 
But to start off, to do that then, it looked awfully reckless. And here's another thing. When you talk about situational football, one of the big plays was third and 23 right before the half. All the momentum's with the Chargers. Now, I'm watching the game with some people. Anyone with any football IQ understands at that point, the Raiders, they don't want to be too risky. Situation like that, where it's not end of the game, you're thinking you got to be on screen alert or draw alert. And when they ran the draw, you could just see it forming as that center got out to that second level and crushed Derwin James. Those are the things that really kill me about Brandon Staley. I think he's a bright guy, but there comes a point he's got to realize football is played by men, and you can't always go by the book. You live by the book, and unfortunately, the Chargers died by the Staley book. You know what he remind, he, he somewhat reminds me of? I, of Adam Gase. Mm. Great offensive mind, but he's just not a head coach. And, and that's what I think right now about Brandon mm. Staley. And they're, they're, they'll retain him because, hey, look how well Justin Herbert's playing and, and played under him. Let, let's don't move on. You know, we don't want to break up that combination. But will this guy ever be a legitimate head coach when he's a bit too much of a, a John Madden video game analytics guy and, and just wants to, again, establish what I saw in that Chiefs game earlier this year was just like, hey, this guy oh. thinks he can win the football game. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, your players win football games. And you need to understand, that's why they make the most money. And you just need to be, have enough control of your ego that you're not constantly trying to figure out how can I do something while standing over here on the sidelines that makes the difference between us winning and losing. Because where coaches really make an impact, particularly when the games are played on Sunday, coaches actually make their impact Monday through Saturday. It's in the preparation. And then you get to Sunday and you let the players go out and win it. And, and so I defend his timeout decision. But the people that are criticizing it are basically criticizing it because they're saying Brandon Staley too often wants to do the smartest thing that he could possibly ever think of, wants to be the smartest guy in the stadium. And what can I do to make a difference? Oh, I'm going to call a timeout. I got no problem with the timeout. I'm not second guessing the timeout. But the people that are questioning, just like the guy is trying to do too much. And he basically, and look, I get the people that are, are questioning timeout because based on the rhythm and the way the thing was flowing, the, the, the Raiders seemed like they were somewhat, they were, you know, 60% of them wanted to yeah. win. 40% of them was like, oh, I'm good with a tie. He takes that timeout gives them a chance to think, and now all of a sudden it goes to 80%. I really want to win. Let's get into a good run play. And then I I thought you sent me the video. Emmanuel Acho had a really good breakdown of how the linebacker and the safety uh, really just misdiagnosed this play, didn't follow their keys. You know, you you just follow the tight end and motion, and it walks you right into the tackle. I I, 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 I get all that, but I guess – I'm someone, if I was the Chargers, it would cross my mind to fire Brandon Staley. <laughs> I understand why they won't. I understand why they won't do it. 
Jason, here's the issue. If you want to go back to our original point about the racial element of coaching and coaching, coaching hires, I, I actually think there's a lot to this, that if you look at Brandon Staley's resume and his level of experience at the NFL level, if someone said, Steve, when was the last time a black coach with that thin of a resume was elevated to a head coaching spot? Now you have a point that I say, hmm, that's something to delve into. I think there's much more validity to that than to equate racism and hiring and firing to the Brian Flores walk decision me through, today. Walk me through his resume. Well, tell me his resume. Couple, he only has a couple of years in the National Football League. I, I'm just telling you, this is not Fritz Shermer who put in 35 years. This is not uh, Jimmy Ray, who was one of the first black coordinators in the National Football League. There's been a lot of NFL head coaches that have had to put their time in. Brandon Staley was really elevated quickly, almost out of nowhere. I'm just telling you, uh, you well, just look at it. He's 39 years old. I, I'm going to tell you why I disagree with you. Because uh, uh, now I'm looking at his resume as it relates to the NFL. He didn't get to the NFL until outside linebackers coach for the uh, Chicago Bears in 2017 and 18. Uh, out, outside linebacker, the Broncos in 2019, defensive coordinator for the Rams for one year. Yeah. Let me, te- let me tell you why I, I, I somewhat disagree with you. Take, take my column writing career uh, that started in Ann Arbor but took real flight in Kansas City. Uh, I had only been out of college for four years when I was named a columnist at the Kansas City Star. And back then, this is 1994, being a columnist in a major city with pro sports, that was a really, really big deal. And people were very critical. It's the Kansas City Star doing a hiring Jason Whitlock to be a columnist. I, I, I'm on, Gene Wojciechowski was livid. He wanted that job mm. and was livid. And I can remember we were in, I was working in Ann Arbor at the time. And there was a big Michigan football game. And, and, again, and I'm not saying this to denigrate Gene Wojciechowski. I'm just telling you the facts. I don't think Gene Wojciechowski is a bad guy. I'm just telling you the facts. Was livid, thought it was unfair, and oh, look, they're giving this black guy who's unproven uh, this column writing job. The, the, the issue is, or where I disagree is, if you're a great head coach, if you're a great columnist, you show signs real early. And anybody with a discerning eye, any critical thinking, I'm like, wow, that guy there, he can be a head coach. He can be a columnist. And, and so the people, a lot of times the guys that uh, you put 20 years in and then you're named a it's because you're not a great columnist. It's because you're not a great head coach. A lot of times the, the, the people... And again, I'm trying to think of who has been the great head coach who wasn't really identified very early, who who had to spend 20 years working their way up. And, may, and again, I'm trying to think this through in real time of who the example is. But but most of the time, it's hmm. like, you know, John Madden, when he was named the Raiders head coach, he was very young. Uh, a, a lot of these, they show flashes. The people that have that it factor, that have that brain for the game, they show it very early and that's why they get those opportunities very early. The, the people that have 
been there for 2020. It's because they're not a head coach. I Here's a name that I remember that put in his time and I thought for a while wasn't going to get a job, ended up in the Hall of Fame, and people thought he was too mellow, uh, and they uh, they actually thought there was a racial element for a while. A lot of stories were written about this in the 80s and 90s. Tony Dungy. I remember reading about Tony Dungy as a kid, as this bright, young defensive assistant for the Steelers. Then he went to Kansas City, and then he worked his way up. But there's always questions like, well, why isn't he a head coach? Look, I'm not saying Brandon Staley can't one day win a Lombardi trophy. The elements are there. But I would argue, Jay, when you got elevated to that columnist spot in Kansas City, were you a 9-8 and eight columnist? At the end of the day, we can only judge by results now. And so far, Brandon Staley, in my view, underachieved with one of the better rosters. It's not a complete roster. It's not a perfect roster. But you got to make the playoffs with that team. It's really that simple. This is a results-based industry. Now, Tony Dungy, you do realize – he was a 41-year-old head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was, but he also had a long coaching career as an assistant, though. He worked his way up the ladder, though. I, I remember he spent a lot of time in Minnesota, in fact, I remember. That's where he really got a lot of heat or a lot of buzz, right? This guy's going to be a future. And it didn't happen for a while, actually. He spent three years as the defensive coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. He was named an NFL head coach, basically, 15 years after he retired. Again, I don't. That, that's, that's not in a microwave, but that, that's, that's not a, a microwave. But forty-one year, forty-one years old, and an NFL head coach, that to me still qualifies as young. And and I'm just telling you, the head coach. And again, Tony Dungy's of a different era in terms of of back then in the '80s when he's an assistant coach part of the 90s, I do think there was an issue as it related to race, but, but, but now, the, the, I'm just telling you, the reason why owners pick these young guys are because I'm just saying, they, they show flashes. It's, it's like, you know, there's a reason why, you know, the high school cheerleader is the hottest girl in college, and the right. hottest girl in college turns out to be the hottest girl uh, in adulthood or whatever. It's like they show flashes early, man. Greatness doesn't wait to be revealed. And, and you know, I, I'm not knocking all these coaches that, that don't get an opportunity, but... Uh, Jason, you know a coach that yeah. I like, and you're going to laugh at me, and it's going to be like hot take central, um, and I, I would switch places with them in a heartbeat. I actually like the job Dan Campbell did at Detroit. He took over an awful team that was rebuilding. Those guys played tough. The last six, seven weeks, they showed flashes. Dan Campbell's a guy that worked his way up the NFL ladder. He's a season-hardened man. And I am getting sick of analytics just being, look, analytics should be a supplement to your coaching. But if, if, if it's all you're doing is analytics to make every single one of your decisions, I wouldn't hire a guy like that. Maybe that's just me being old school and telling the kids to get off my lawn. There comes a point in time. You have to coach to the variables and the adjustments within the game. And I look, I have not given up on Brandon Staley because he's a bright guy. But last night, I'm just looking at this going, you can't blow this game. And this season, he went 9-8 and eight with Justin Herbert. 
Just think about that for a second. A lot of other coaches, if they did that, they'd be getting a lot more heat, not just for the timeout. This goes beyond the timeout, Jake. I agree with you on that. All right. Uh, Dan Campbell named an NFL head coach 12 years after retiring as an NFL football player. The coaches, they showed themselves early. Uh, Steve, before I let you go, I know you're a huge college football guy. Georgia, Bama tonight. I think Georgia's going to win. I said this mm. at the beginning. I said this before the SEC championship game that Bama's going to beat Georgia in the SEC title game. The SEC is going to have two teams in the playoff come hell or high water. And then Georgia's going to turn around and beat Bama in the national championship game. I'm going to stick with that prediction. Seeing is believing. Uh, Death taxes and Nick Saban beating his assistant coaches that go on to other programs. Jay, I'm going to break it down like this. And I'm not saying you're out of your mind. Because, look, Georgia's a very talented team. But with all things being equal, and there's no doubt that Georgia and Alabama have more NFL material on their rosters than any team by far this year. But one side has the all-time greatest coach in Nick Saban and the Heisman Trophy winner in Bryce Young will be the number one pick whenever he comes out. And the other side has Kirby Smart and a former walk-on. With all of that said, are you sure you trust Georgia to even up the score this year and to win their first national title since 1980? Really? Well, I thought Booger McFarland had a very interesting tweet that like, hey, look, if the game is about the quarterbacks, Bama's going to win. If it's about the entire team, if Kirby Smart can make it about his entire roster and not just, hey, what's the quarterback going to do? I think Georgia has the better entire team and I'm not I'm not as sold on Bryce Young I think Bryce Young is very good I don't think he should have won the Heisman Trophy I don't think he was the best football player in college football I think Georgia's defense gets the better of Bryce Young tonight and Georgia Mm -hmm. wins the national championship but uh, that's just my take yeah Jay one last thing about that game I I rewatched it a couple nights ago In that SEC title game about five weeks ago, Georgia could not get home to the quarterback, and they actually blitzed a lot more than I thought. Alabama's offensive line, their turnaround from the Auburn game where they struggled and were lucky to win to beating Georgia up front and then exposing the back end of their defense was striking. So the question then becomes for the Georgia defensive staff, can you bring home pressure that's actually going to disrupt Bryce Young? If they can't do that, I I look at the same result and same type of game. I got to go. I want to tell you guys about uh, our new friend, Patriot Mobile. People make a big deal out of New Year's resolutions, but I want you to commit to one right now. Resolve to do something that will help get this country back on track. Resolve to support causes and companies that share our values and love this country. I'm proud to partner with Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative cell phone provider. They offer broad nationwide coverage. In fact, they use the same towers as the major carriers, so you get the same great nationwide coverage, plus the peace of mind that your money isn't supporting the left. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, and their 100% U.S.-based support team provides exceptional customer service support. More importantly, Patriot Mobile shares your values and supports organizations fighting for religious freedom, constitutional rights, sanctity of life, 
and our veteran and first responder heroes. Go to patriotmobile.com slash Jason. That's patriotmobile.com slash J-A-S-O-N or call 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation with the offer code Jason. Veterans and first responders save even more. So make the switch today. Support a company that loves America, loves you, and shares your values. PatriotMobile.com slash Jason. PatriotMobile.com slash Jason. Or call 972-PATRIOT. We must exist in a state of man glorious as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. The fearless soldier pledges to place God first and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life. We, the fearless army, are one nation under God, indivisible with freedom and a belief in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and of this nation. We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights, which are granted by our Heavenly Father. We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect, and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim. I am the man that God made me to be. Amen. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to go out to Missouri in the Show Me State and bring in uh, former Mizzou wide receiver uh, T.J. Moe. Uh, T.J., one of the strongest voices we have on the show. And T.J., I'm going to start here. We're going to talk, still talk about NFL topics, but I'm going to rewind and give you an opportunity to share an opinion on, on Brian Flores. You had an interesting thought about the difference between the hierarchies in college football and the NFL? Yeah, a couple things on this. I think, uh, truly, I'm stunned that this does not happen more often, and that being the disagreements between the GM and the head coach creating enough of a rift that they have to part ways. I think, I think whenever you have two people with equal power, that is destined to happen. This is why this is why when you have a business in general, you, you will have your board, but you usually have an ultimate decision maker. It's, it's very hard to have too many cooks in the kitchen. And so, I mean, the, the hierarchy is very simple when it comes to uh, college football. You have the athletic director who ties his entire uh, career, more or less, on the hiring of a football head coach. Occasionally you have a place like Duke uh, or North Carolina where it's on basketball, but it's pretty much football. You hire that person and then you say, go, do, succeed, because my career is tied to your career. And that head coach is in charge of virtually the entire athletic department. When they have 
uh, donations. I mean, much of this goes right through the head coach and where he wants and needs it. He's in direct conversation with many of the donors and such. And so he goes, he signs off on every single player that comes in. When, when I was at Missouri, Gary Pinkle sat down at the table. They identified the players they wanted to go get, go get before a single offer was ever extended Gary Pinkle signed off, and he was in charge of the players. This is why guys like Nick Saban, when he went and decided to take a chance at going to the NFL with the Miami Dolphins, he demanded that he have some say-so, and really the ultimate say-so, over the players that he could go get. I mean, we, we see this with Belichick. That's why he succeeds at a high level. We've seen it over the years with Parcells, Mike Shanahan. There are a myriad of guys. It's very difficult to do, but I don't know how – it would be it would be similar to me, Jason – giving you a list of topics each day and saying, hey, it's it's your thoughts, it's your ideas, you go do it, but here are your topics. That's pretty difficult to do. It, you go run your offense, but here's your quarterback. You go run your defense, but here's your middle linebacker. I think that uh, I think eventually the NFL may go towards more of the Belichick model. You got to find guys that can handle that. But I think I, I think this difference in personality and philosophy uh, I'm I'm stunned that it has not led to more departures over the years that we we, we haven't seen yet. I'm want to add something to to your point because and to my own. I believe Chris Greer won this power struggle, and he's going to be the alpha in Miami for the next year or two and longer if he has success. Uh, and again, who knows how true this is. But Mike Lombardi, a respected NFL voice and analyst and expert, he's been with Belichick and that regime, he, he tweeted out speculation uh, Monday afternoon that Jim Caldwell is a strong candidate to be the Miami Dolphins' next head coach. Caldwell, obviously former coach of the Colts, former coach of the Detroit Lions. Caldwell's got to be in his 60s maybe mid to late 60s. And to me, that's a guy that Chris Greer would be so beholden to Chris Greer for giving him the opportunity that he's going to do whatever Chris Greer wants done. That's the only way for him to get this opportunity, a third coaching opportunity in the NFL. And it, it just, if you can find the right head coach, you turn over the power to him. If you can't, you turn it over uh, to your general manager or team president, and it appears for right now the Dolphins have turned it over to, in your analogy, the athletic director more than the head coach. I, you know, there's, there's one more thing I have to add to this that I think uh, it, your last comment sparked this thought for me. I'm reading a book right now called Necessary Endings. It's by a Christian psychologist. His name is Henry Cloud. And he it, it is addressing specifically... Uh, personal relationships and business. This obviously fits into business, but personal relationships are always within business and that's why it gets so murky. One of the things that he talks about in the analogy that he uses, he says your life and your business should be like pruning a rose, okay? There are three reasons you prune a rose because you only have so many nutrients that can come up through the stem and go to each branch. You have to have this idea of what you want your rose to look like and then you have to cut off Obviously, the dead branches that are taking up space, those are in the way and you can't succeed that way. You also have six sick branches that you're trying to nurse back to health that you cannot seem to get better. They have to go away, too. The hardest one 
is healthy branches that just aren't the best. They're healthy, but you have better ones and there's only so many nutrients to go around. And he says, these are the most difficult branches to cut off. But if you want to ever get to that rose that you envision, you have to be willing to do that. It's entirely possible that Brian Flores was a healthy branch that just wasn't the best branch. And so if you want to have this rose, you want to go win a Super Bowl. I get it. Historically, the Dolphins aren't great, but he wasn't blowing it. Uh, uh, he wasn't killing it either. I mean, a perfect example of this, I think, is John Fox. When he was in Denver, he had four years, 2011 to 2014, four straight division titles. He had Peyton Manning there, went to a Super Bowl, made the playoffs every year, got fired, and they won the Super Bowl with Gary Kubiak the next year. That was a rose that was not quite meeting its potential. They had to cut off a healthy branch, wasn't quite the best branch. Once they got the best branch, they went on to win the Super Bowl the very next year. I don't think you can view the world as if everything is racist, and and I don't think you should if you're trying to get to where you want to go, it shouldn't be a power struggle either. The idea is what do we want this business to look like and how do we best get there? All right, TJ, let's talk about the NFL and the postseason. Uh, a little bit of what we witnessed yesterday and a pretty incredible ending for the NFL, three overtime games with playoff implications ends with an incredible chargers Raiders game. Uh, I leave this NFL regular season convinced there is no best team in the NFL. I don't even know if there's the best two teams in the NFL. There's no Alabama and Georgia. I I think we're going to see the wildest, most unpredictable playoff, uh, NFL playoff ever. I I can't, you know, I just don't see a best team do you think there is a team that's slightly better than the rest? Yes. First of all, I hope you're right because unpredictability makes for the best television. And so I hope it's the wild, wild west and we see some some craziness ensue. I do think, I don't know if they're the best team. They probably are. Uh, according to Vegas, they are the best team. But I have, I, I have conviction as to which team is going to win the Super Bowl, and I think that's the Green Bay Packers. That's for three reasons. The first reason is the road to the Super Bowl in the NFC goes through Green Bay. Look at the other teams that have to uh, that are in the, the playoffs in the NFC. The Cowboys, the LA Rams, the Cardinals, the Bucks, the 49ers, and then Philadelphia, which is the seventh seed. If they miraculously get there, they'll be used to playing in the cold weather. Everybody else is either in a dome or in 80-degree winter heat. So it's pretty difficult to go through Green Bay. We're all aware of this. Green Bay, obviously, over the years, they get used to playing in their snow. I think if you're a Green Bay fan, you're hoping for a blizzard. Uh, and because Tom Brady's about the only guy who plays down in Tampa Bay that's used to playing in that type of weather. That's number one. The second thing is what I see where they are as a team is what I saw last year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're getting healthy at exactly the right moment. Their left tackle, David Bakhtiari, is back. He left the game last uh, yesterday with fatigue, but he's back. He's perhaps the best left tackle in the game, and he's very, if not, he's certainly a top three. Josh Myers, their rookie center, came off knee surgery. He's back. Randall Cobb will be back for the playoffs. Uh, Jair Alexander, one of the best corners in the league, he will be back. They have a list of guys getting healthy at the right time. The last thing is this. I think we talked about this with Lamar Jackson, United, uh, several weeks ago now. 
We one of the reasons Lamar Jackson perhaps is not growing as a quarterback is because we have not gifted him with some criticism. There is not a team that's been more criticized this year than the Green Bay Packers, specifically because of their quarterback that is a criticized magnet. Aaron Rodgers, look at his resume. Okay, he's a junior college guy, doubted, criticized. He was just a guy. I think as a sophomore in high school, he's still five foot six. Reasons he didn't get recruited, but had to go to junior college. Performed well enough at Cal to be a first round pick, but still was the 24th pick. He dropped way further than everybody thought he would. Alex Smith, the first pick in that draft. There were two Auburn running backs who were picked before him in that draft. That I'll tell you how far he fell there. And so he then gets to the NFL and has to sit on the bench behind a Hall of Famer. Everybody loves Brett Favre. I'm, I'm the biggest Brett Favre fan there is. But he has to sit down. Three years later, he wins a Super Bowl. He was doubted and criticized. He was just a guy. Three years later, wins a Super Bowl. Since that time, he's won three MVPs, probably in line for his fourth this year. And he's still getting crushed, not because of what he's done on the field, but because he will not take an experimental drug. So if there was a time, the Green Bay Packers, if you go look at their offseason this year, you'd say, okay, okay. There's a guy who may not be there. We don't. It was March before they got a contract done. They were going to get stuff figured out. If there's one thing that could have brought this team together more, you're going to have to tell me what it is. Because when you criticize somebody, it gives the team, the city, the administration an opportunity to rally behind him. And there's a ton of people, specifically, I would imagine, in Green Bay that are willing to stand up behind a guy who's, who stands by his principles, and that's Aaron Rodgers. I think Green Bay is going to run to a Super Bowl this year, and I've never been more convinced of anything in my life. Mm. I got to admit, I like that argument. I hope you're right. I'm rooting for Aaron Rodgers. I do think they're just as vulnerable as, as everybody else. Uh, that's going to segue into to my next take that I actually, this is what I have the most conviction about. The most overvalued team in these playoffs, I think there's two candidates. Uh, but I think one stands head and shoulders above all the rest, and it's the Tennessee Titans, uh, and it's because of Ryan Tannehill. I do not trust Ryan Tannehill. Even if they bring Derrick Henry back, which they likely are, and that eases some of the pressure on Ryan Tannehill, I just don't think... Tannehill is not a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. He's going to make bad throws. He's going to throw an interception or two that's going to cost the Tennessee Titans. I don't, Titans luckily have a bye this coming weekend. I don't think they win their first playoff game. They're the most overvalued team. And it's not a knock on Mike Vrabel. I think he's a great coach. It's not a knock on the talent they have assembled. It's mostly just a knock. My belief that I'm not putting any trust in the former wide receiver turned quarterback who to me, and, and, and it may be, Leftover residue, I'm just going to put all my cards on the table and be transparent. When they lost to the Houston Texans earlier in the season, it cost me a ton of money. And Ryan Tannehill was a joke in that game. And every, I, just, I just don't trust Ryan Tannehill. I think they lose in the first, their first playoff game. I think they're the most overvalued team in these playoffs. Well, you know how to make friends, don't you? You move to Nashville, and five minutes later, you're just tearing up their NFL team. I, yeah. I get your argument. I disagree with your argument because I think there's enough talent there and that it will not be in the hands of Ryan Tannehill long-term if they're going to get somewhere. Now, you know, Derrick Henry is going to run them to a Super Bowl if they ever get to a Super Bowl with this crew. I think Ryan Tannehill is athletic enough 
uh, now seasoned enough to make enough good decisions to not lose them games. Now, it may not happen, but I think that would be the theory if you're going to do it. If he did not have Derrick Henry, I would agree with you. I think Derrick Henry has has the ability to run them to his Super Bowl at some point in his career. Don't know if it's this year. The team that I think is the most suspect is the Bucks, and I am the uh, I am the president of the Tom Brady fan club, and so uh, it is painful for me to, for me to say this, but. Tom Brady is the one guy that you can count on in that team right now. Antonio Brown just ran off the field without a shirt on in the middle of the game. That It's like there's chaos going on. Remember, Tom Brady's not used to chaos. He finds a way to work through things. But when in New England, outside of the year, I guess, with uh, Aaron Hernandez, did they have chaos? Everything was always cut the guy before – you always – cut the guy before something crazy happens. You always, whenever a contract's coming up, you trade him. That's just the way they did things in New England. I think you allowed that to happen. And I think you allowed that that to happen out of desperation because of your other injuries. You have Chris Godwin, who's out. You had another receiver, your, your deep threat, out as of yesterday with an ankle injury. You have Leonard Fournette, Giovanni Bernard, and then you had um, um, Ronald Jones leave with an ankle injury yesterday. I don't know who who's the other running back on their roster. You go, you go down the line here, Mike Evans is playing hobbled. Gronk was hobbled earlier in the season. Uh, defensively, Levante David, Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre-Paul, at, they're all out at least for now. I mean, Tom Brady's great, the greatest to ever do it. But who I, I truly could not name the guys that are going to be on the field with him. So I don't know how you win a Super Bowl like that. My number two team is, and I like your argument for Tom Brady and the Bucks because I, I, I don't think they make it back to the Super Bowl either. But I'm not sure if I'm going to call them overvalued because I think everybody's a little suspicious of them. Uh, but my number two team, the only thing I think, I think the Kansas City Chiefs, my favorite team, I think they're overvalued. I think I, I watched them play Saturday against the Denver Broncos. If that running back doesn't cough up that football uh, and they don't, you know, the, the perfect blitz called by uh, the Chiefs, if they don't fumble that football and the linebacker, I think, ran 86 yards with it, they lose to the Denver Broncos on Saturday. I just I think the Tyreek Hill's a little banged up. Their defense always concerns me, and, and when I look at that Denver team and the way they were able to run the ball, and Drew Locke, the former Missouri quarterback, wasn't special on Saturday. Uh, he did just enough that Denver should have won that game. And I just think that there was the Chiefs were out there actually playing for something, the potential number one seed in the AFC, and and they almost got beat by a very mediocre Denver team with a quarterback that's okay but but not great. I think the Kansas City Chiefs are very vulnerable and a bit overvalued. They could lose. They won't lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, but they could definitely lose in the second round of the playoffs. Nick Bolton. The linebacker that uh, over here, I should say, uh, the yeah, linebacker, Mizzou, yeah. one Mizzou guy, uh, although he didn't take it from Drew there. Look, I think Kansas City has all the talent to run away with this thing. I just don't think they're going to. If you look across the board, we, we talked about this a little earlier than year, in the year. They have the most talented quarterback in the league, perhaps the most talented receiver in the league in Tyreek Hill. He is hobbled, still the fastest by a mile. And uh, when the playoffs come around, he'll be drugged up enough to be running as fast as he needs to. And and Travis Kelsey. So, look, 
they have guys out there. They haven't quite figured out the running back position, haven't needed to at this point. The defense down the stretch here was allowing until uh, last game or two was allowing only 11 points a game over like a, an eight-game period. They have the talent to do it. I'm with you, though. At some point, we've got to see it. Like, if, if you're a team with this much potential, why aren't we seeing it every single week? If I go down your roster and say, best in the league, best in the league, best in the league, maybe the best in the league, maybe the best in the league, and you go down the roster and then eventually, like, every game you're out there, okay, 17 to 10, hey, you won a few in a row. Why aren't we seeing 48 to 12 like we saw last year? That is what – if you have one concern as a Chiefs fan – it's that everybody always says, hey, they'll turn it on. The old St. Louis Rams used to have problems with this when they had the greatest show on turf. They'd struggle for a while, and everybody said, well, just wait for the playoffs. They'll flip the switch. No, they didn't. They never did. They got to two Super Bowls. with They, they had five Hall of Famers, Hall of Famers on a single offense, and they won one Super Bowl, and it was the first year. Because you always said, hey, they'll, they'll turn it on. You can't just turn it on. This is the NFL. And it's like in college, we always used to say, hey, they're on scholarship too. These guys play too. And those guys are a lot hungrier and are a lot more focused than you are, apparently, because you with some of the best players in the, in the entire NFL are scoring 16 and 17 points and winning by a field goal. I don't see it. Uh, we'll end on this note, TJ. Uh, who you like tonight, Bama or Georgia? in the College Football National Championship. I like Georgia. I'm with you. I heard you on with uh, Steve earlier. I think, I think Nick Saban wins for a myriad of reasons. He's the best coach that's ever, ever done it in the college game. But I think there are three reasons in general that Nick Saban wins games. First of all, he has the most talent on just about every field he ever enters these days. And it's been this way for a decade plus. I'm not so sure that's the case here. The only glaring difference I see is in the quarterbacks. And if they can get Bryce Young under wraps, they obviously couldn't to the tune of 41 points in the SEC championship game. But if they can get Bryce Young under wraps, they're going to be in pretty good shape. They have five guys on this Georgia defense who are in the pro football focus top 50. Five on a single defense. This, this is a defense that we've been comparing to the 2011 Alabama defense. And they've got guys at every level. They've got a linebacker, three defensive linemen, and a safety, all in the top in the top 50 for pro football focus. The talent is there. These guys, this is a future, this group of Georgia guys is a bunch of future NFL guys. So the talent gap is not there. Okay, that is number one. The second thing is I think Saban is unbelievable at playing the underdog. And I think we saw that in the SEC championship game. He was he said, hey, look, we're underdogs. We're six point. I think there were six, six and a half point dogs in that game. Nobody thinks we can do it. We're still Alabama. Let's go figure it out. And they went out and crushed them. Well, how do you play that card when you went out and crushed a team just a month ago? Nobody's actually saying they would be surprised if Alabama uh, went out and won this thing. While uh, granted, Georgia is still a two and a half point favorite. The third thing is the psychological advantage. And I heard Steve talking about this, and I'm going to disagree with him because of what happened this year. Coming into this season, Nick Saban was 23-0 against nine of his former coaches. 23-0. You could not break the barrier of, Nick Saban, of, of beating Nick Saban if you ever coached for him before. We saw this year that finally Jimbo Fisher broke that at Texas A&M. It reminds me of the four-minute mile, Roger Bannister. He, 19, what was it, 54 he, three minutes, 59.4 seconds, barely broke it. 46 days later, somebody else broke it. A year later, three guys in the same race broke it. So there's a psychological block oftentimes when something goes on forever. In this case, it was you just could not beat your mentor and Nick Saban. Finally, somebody cracks that barrier. I think it happens twice in one season.
Mm. Good stuff, TJ. I'm going to let you go. We'll see you tomorrow. Uh, let's start the new year with free meat. Good Ranchers is giving away 40 free chicken breasts to every order that uses my code FEARLESS. That's a value of $150 for free. They want to help you kick off the new year right with a box of 100% American, 110% delicious chicken, beef, and seafood. Eat better, eat healthier, cook more meals at home, and enjoy loads of flavor with one of their many boxes. Take advantage of this limited time offer today. Use code FEARLESS at checkout or visit www.goodranchers.com backslash fearless for your 40 chicken breasts for free. Saving $150 with this deal is a great way to start off your new year. Stock up on quality beef, chicken, and seafood that makes a difference in your life and the lives of American ranchers. Go to goodranchers.com backslash fearless to start 2022 on the best note possible, free, delicious meat, and support a company that supports you and our way of life. Uncle Jimmy and our approval rating hurts. All right, welcome back. Time for Uncle Jimmy to come in and tell me how great I was. Uh, oh, what are you? <laughs> you got a problem? <laughs> it's top. Cat got your tongue? What? I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for Uncle Jimmy to come in and tell me how great I was, and we're going to do uh, another approval rating on Brandon Staley. I think we did one uh, after his overtime loss uh, earlier in, in, in the year to the Chiefs, and he's gone down from there, actually. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, but anyway, before we get to Brandon Staley and the approval rating, go. The floor is yours to tell everybody how, how great I was. Um, excuse me again. Uh, I, I'd like to say that your performance, it truly leaves a, leaves a taste in one's mouth. <laughs> I, honestly, and I can't, it can't be duplicated. <sighs> truly. And I'm truly proud of you. That's the strongest praise you, after this tour de force performance, that's the strongest praise you can offer me? Jason. There is no one that can do what you do. And there's no one that can leave, you know, like I said, your words are bacons of truth. <laughs> there's no one that can leave the taste in people's mouths that you do. Yeah, bacon bits, huh? All right. Uh, how about, uh, let's start with Steve Kim. Uh, Steve is my dude. I love Steve, but he, once again, he, he said something kind of questionable. He said, he said, that uh, and I need to ask you, Steve, who told you that the foot that a football game wasn't played on a computer? What? I tell you, he said a football, real football game ain't played on a computer. <laughs> I take it he can't play, he ain't played no Madden. Uh, <laughs> he, I thought, I, I expected more of him than that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you were, you personally was offended by that comment. I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, yeah, you, that, that, that's like me finding out he got a bad credit score, man. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Honestly. And, and then the thing that was funny when you was talking, you started talking about uh, uh, Brandon Staley. Yeah. And he's trying to be a good sport. And you started talking about how much you liked him and you didn't blame him. You couldn't see, still see Steve, but I thought Steve was about to have a stroke because he was going. Mm. 
And then finally he goes, I agree, Jay, but, you know, he does have Justin Herbert. And he went down the entire line and he did not agree with you. And the only thing he could respond and say was, tell me, Jay, uh, when you were in Kansas City, were you a nine and eight columnist? <laughs> no, I was not. And you did not answer. I was waiting. <laughs> I was a 16-0 columnist. Back, that was back when they were playing 16 games. And I disagree. I remember you said 16-0 and they lost the first game. <laughs> <laughs> Marty Schottenheimer got fired and had a losing record. Yeah, that was. No. Uh, so you had one of the chief players try to attack you in the dressing room? Yeah, yeah I remember you know, that. That was not at the dressing room. That was at Diamond Joe's. That was. <laughs> That was a Diamond Joe's. The last thing you and Steve said. Not a Diamond Joe's dressing room. You, you, Go ahead. <laughs> you made the comment and you said that a, a high school cheerleader ends up being the best looking girl. That's uh, not always true. Most of the time I've realized that the high school cheerleader ends up looking like a Oompa Loompa when you see her 10 years later on in life. <laughs> now, you, you thinking of the 30 and 40 year reunions. Five to ten pounds, the old five to ten pounds a year trick. That's all I'm telling you. <laughs> I've seen some of them cheerleaders, all of them sitting at the same table at that reunion. You're like, oh. And, you know, I try to be nice when I yeah. speak to them. I'll be like, moo. <laughs> uh, how about our guy T.J. Moe? I thought he did a tremendous job. As hey, man, T- I-, I love T.J. Moe. T.J. Moe was so versatile, man. I... I- you, you didn't see, he, he, he kind of went Martha Stewart on you real quick. You didn't realize it. He was talking about football, and all of a sudden, this man started telling you the proper way to trim a, to, to, to trim a rose. Did you notice he started telling you how to prune a rose? You got to go this way, and if you want to see, come on, man, you're being too smart for your own good, TJ. <laughs> I love that dude, man. And, and I love him because he has conviction. You asked him about who he thought he was going to win, and without a second thought, he told you straight out. He said he thought it was going to be Aaron Rodgers. I respect that because what that means is he thinks it's going to be Aaron Rodgers. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be Patrick Mahomes. You know what that means? We got a State Farm Bowl coming up. Ain't nobody happier than that than Jake from State Farm. Yeah, they do. We'll have a is is. But I thought they de-emphasized Aaron Rodgers and the State Farm. But I keep seeing them. Oh yeah, he, yeah oh you trust me. That, that that's what they got going on, and that's what's happening. When, when they said you know they were upset with him because he was unvaccinated, and allegedly they were going to de-emphasize him, but. I keep seeing him in the State Farm. I'm telling you, that's what they want. It, it, it's going to be the State Farm Bowl. That, that's what's happening. They're they going to battle over, over the love of to, to see who's going to get a... Is that all you got? Can we move on to Brandon Staley? Oh, yeah, by the way, but don't, don't, don't leave out, TJ, because he told you. He said, we have done a tremendous disservice to Lamar Jackson by not criticizing him. The gift of criticism. The gift of criticism. Let's not leave that out, man. That was a good point. And let's go, man. I actually agree with. All right, let's go to Brandon Staley. Uh, who I think I had candle lit uh, the last time we did this, but he is no longer uh, candle lit. Uh, Let's talk about job performance. Uh, I give him a 12. I think I previously had him at like an 18 or something like that, Uh, but he just cost his team the the playoffs, not with the timeout, but with being overaggressive, the, the, the sins that he made with the Chiefs. He repeated again in this last regular season game. It cost him a game. I got him down at a 12 in job performance. I would like to tell you, Bradman Staley, keep up the good work. For your job performance, I give you a 25, man. Keep it up. Don't you change nothing. They re-sign you next year. Don't you change nothing. 
spoken like a Chiefs fan. Uh, authentic, no, 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 character. Uh, I'm going to knock him down a couple of points here in character as well. Just, you know, I, just because he lost and he's not making the playoffs and he's got one of the best young quarterbacks. So I got him at a 15, I think. Previously, where did I have him at? Uh, 17 or 18? I can't mm-hmm. see that far. Anyway, go ahead. Hey, man, uh, for character, I give him a 25. He did with the Chiefs. He, he did what he did to the Chiefs in the first game. He went for it on fourth down. It worked. What happened to him on the, second, on the second game? Didn't work, did it. He tried it again. He didn't learn. He didn't work, did it. Keep up that performance. You get a 25. And that's why I actually am high on him in terms of authenticity. He's dumb. <laughs> he doubled down on there being you go. dumb. He's very authentic about his Keep stupidity. it up. I gave him a 21 in authenticity. Hey, let's just say the man can't swing a hammer, okay? <laughs> <laughs> See, stop with the inside jokes. Uh, only you and I can laugh at that. Uh, <laughs> what, you got him at a zero in authenticity? Yeah. He ain't, uh, 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 yeah, he, got, he, he ain't got it. For authenticity, what about it? What, what's, ori- what's original about it? He ain't got it. He ain't a winner, is he? Well, that's true. All right, it factor. Never had it, never will. I dropped him again, got him at a four in it factor. Uh, I think he's going to be under a lot of pressure next season. Hey, man, let me tell you something. I'm going to be honest The Chargers never had it, never will. Now, I'm going to keep it. The, the, the Chargers, the best player they ever drafted was Marcellus Wiley. So what does that say about it? They drafted Junior Seau. The best player they ever drafted was Marcellus Wiley. They drafted Dan Fouts. The best player they ever drafted was Marcellus Wiley. They drafted LaDainian Tomlinson. Okay. Okay. And remember, now LaDainian, he ain't won a whole bunch of Scrabble games in him lifetime. Either. Hey, stop it. I love LT, man. I, th- I got to double check. You, you, wait a minute. You love LT, and he sat up there and got, man, they did, they did Sean Merriman's dance in the middle of the, of the field. I gotta That's admit. not his dance. Man, get out of here. Ever since he whined, I ain't had nothing, no love for LT. I got to make sure that the Chargers drop. I like Natron Means. I like Natron Means better than I like LT. Natron Means business? Yeah, San Diego drafted. Anyway, <laughs> all right. I got him at a 52. I, is that still candlelit? No, bro. Yeah, you got him. He's still candlelit. Oh, you got him at a 50 dumpster fire. Yeah, dumpster fire, man. So dropped him a few points. All right. Hey, man, that's how I like to see. If you're going to be in my division, that's how I want you to perform. Yes, I, I, I get that. All right. Uh, that's tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Regrets and our decisions, we don't want to go to heaven with freedom. It's my obligation, no hate, discrimination, raising up your hands for free.